You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's pod, we're talking with Toulouse Olivernipa, who covers the White House for The Washington Post and as a political analyst for CNN. Toulouse wrote a major scoop about Donald Trump's self-serving decision to stamp his name all over the last round of coronavirus stimulus checks. And he told us how that all happened behind the scenes in this interview that peels back the layers of how things are really working in D.C. and how professional journalists manage to keep the public informed during a global pandemic. It's an issue that is going to become all the more relevant this month as wild debate over the passage of a COVID relief package and Speaker Pelosi's HEROES Act is in the news daily. Incredibly, the original HEROES Act also includes a specific provision to prevent Donald Trump from ever repeating his ridiculous idea to brand the debts he's incurring to bail America's economy out from his mind-blowingly awful handling of the coronavirus. Check it out on page 186. The Democratic-controlled House already passed the HEROES Act over 150 days ago, which would, amongst other things, send out more stimulus checks to keep the economy from crashing, as well as provide desperately needed funding to state and local governments, creating a national plan to attack the coronavirus and boosting vote-by-mail in November. Amazingly, the New York Times just reported that the Trump administration strongly opposed widespread coronavirus testing, even though an economist predicts a return on investment of 10 to 100 times 10 to 100 times the amount spent by the federal government to cure our country of this virus. With that in mind, I think that Toulouse Olorinipa's story about Trump signed stimulus checks is about to come back up, especially if Republicans try to strip that provision out of the HEROES Act. So take a listen to how real journalism happens in Washington, D.C. I'm here with Toulouse Olorinipa who is a White House correspondent for The Washington Post. He's here to talk with us about his reporting during the coronavirus crisis and to share some of the real inside stories happening inside 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue during these turbulent times. Tolu, thank you for taking time to join us today. How are you? Uh, great. It's great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I wanted to start by asking about a story you co-wrote in April. Trump denied he wanted his name on his stimulus checks. Here's how it happened. A month ago, Trump denied that he'd put his name on relief distributions, but then he revealed he would put his signature in the memo line of 70 million checks. Can you start by explaining to our listeners how the heck that happened? Well, the president is definitely known for liking to have his name on things. He considers himself a master brander. And when he was informed that he was going to be signing this CARES Act, which provided more than a trillion dollars in funding for Americans in the form of $1,200 checks for individuals, $2,400 for couples. He tried to figure out a way he could sort of capitalize on this and maybe get a little bit of a political benefit from this. And he had some support from the Treasury Department and uh, Secretary Mnuchin, who essentially let the president know that while he couldn't sign the checks physically because there are sort of regulations that prevent political officials from signing payments to Americans, he could have his name in the memo line and it would allow him to sort of put his name on the checks and sort of associate himself with this money that Americans were getting 
due to this bill that was passed by Congress. And he was all on board with that. And uh, eventually he was able to get his name on this payment, even though he said that he didn't want to do it before. And he said that he had no idea about it. Our reporting shows that he was very well informed about the process. He enthusiastically supported it. And he liked the idea of being able to put his name on these checks and associate himself with these payments that Americans are getting to try to tie them over in the middle of this economic storm that the country is facing. Is this the, the first time that a, a president has put their name or signature on a document from the IRS? And if it is, why is it so significant? And why do you think it's never happened before? I think it hasn't, but I just want to make sure. Yeah, this is the first time that the president's name has been on an actual payment. There have been previous presidents that have sent along memos that, that were associated with the payments. And President Trump actually also sent along a memo you know, basically saying this is what this payment is for, this is why we're doing this out, you know, having a little bit of a political message. Uh, I think the president even in this time around sort of alluded to his uh, campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. Um, but the reason that it hasn't been done before is because there is usually sort of a firewall between the IRS and politicians, especially presidents. The, the IRS does not want to be seen as an arm of a political campaign or seen as being politicized. And by putting a president's name or signature on a payment, which is taxpayer money, it's sort of a textbook example of uh, the type of politicization that the IRS has tried to avoid in the past. They don't want to be seen as siding with any one political party or benefiting one campaign over the other. And at the end of the day, this is taxpayer money. This isn't President Trump's money. He isn't the person signing the check because it's not his money. It's money that comes from the American taxpayer and is going back to other taxpayers. But um, by signing the check, the president sort of breaking with that precedent and sort of personifying this idea that he is the one you know, providing this money, that the money is coming from him personally, and that he should get some sort of personal political benefit from being the one whose name is on the front of the checks. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I remember some some tough times in the Obama years about the IRS and a lot of accusations being flown around. But in a different story, Post reported that Trump's decision to put his name on the memo line of the coronavirus stimulus checks held up their distribution. Did your sources or anybody tell you anything about that? And have you heard anything since mid-April that you can update our audience about the story? Yeah, that was a little bit murky. I mean, when we first reported this, there was a sense within uh, the IRS that this would take additional work. This is not something that the IRS typically does. They already have their computer code that's set when they're sending out checks. They had to redo all of that. They had to sort of put in new code. They had to test it. We're talking about tens of millions of checks, so they had to make sure they, they, they got it right. And we were told early on that there was a good chance that that could delay the first batch of checks going out. These checks have not all been sent out yet. There are still people who have not received their checks. So the process is still ongoing. And the, the, the administration has said that, you know, adding President Trump's name has not slowed down the process. They've encouraged a large number of people to uh, get their checks via direct deposit. And obviously that would not include the president's name. So they've tried to figure out a way to not allow this to be a situation where 
people are getting delayed, but it's not clear that that didn't happen because of all of the extra work that had to be done in order to make these checks go out with the president's name on it. And either way, this took away resources that the IRS could be using for a number of different other things. This is a time when the IRS is needed for processing various forms of other payments, processing payments that are going to businesses and making sure that people have what they need to survive this economic storm. And instead, they spent a lot of time trying to get the president's name on the front of the check. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I've seen him do some murky stuff and it's always tough to get to the clear bottom line a lot of times. And that's sometimes intentional. I'm not sure if that's the case here, but I'm sure we'll find out from you soon. I'd like to pivot a little to ask you about what it's like covering the White House without revealing sources or methods that you want to keep confidential, obviously. But what is the impact of being there, having your boots on the ground in D.C.? Do you spend a lot of time at the White House or do you mostly work at your office or I guess these days your home office, maybe? How's it work for you now? Yeah, these days uh, encouraging us to stay away from the White House on a typical day before the coronavirus. We would be spending a good amount of time at the White House whether, you know, talking to sources there, or attending briefings, sometimes attending events held by the president or his aides. But now, because of social distancing and because of the sort of the dangers inherent in sort of congregating in one space, we are working remotely. We're still working the phones. We're still, you know, talking, reaching out to sources, trying to put together stories, especially at a time when there's so much going on in the government. There's so much to report on and the government's missteps and the actions that they're taking in response to the outbreak. So we spend a lot of time talking to our sources, talking to people within the government, talking to outside advisors, talking to people who have a sense of what's happening in the White House, even though we can't be there physically all the time, and trying to digest that and give it to the American people in the most digestible way in terms of letting them know what's happening behind the scenes, letting them know what their taxpayer dollars are going for, what the government is doing with those resources, areas where the government is making mistakes and they need to have those mistakes sort of highlighted for the American public and for history. So it's a tough job. There's a lot of attacks on the press. There's a lot of attacks on the nature of truth. You get spun from time to time and you get people trying to tell you things that that aren't true and you have to be able to decipher what is accurate and what's inaccurate and you have to do that on a deadline pressure. So it's a tough job. It's gotten tougher, especially with the amount of breaking news there is, but it's fun and exciting and it's an important job, especially at this moment when the country is so hungry for accurate and useful information that they can use to navigate this crisis that we're facing. And we're in the middle of a presidential election, so we feel like the job is even more important because people are going to be making a very important choice about who to vote for in the upcoming election and giving voters and the public a broader sense of what's happening and what information they may use to decide who to vote for is pretty important. And uh, we try to make sure people have all the information they need to make the decisions they need to make in their lives. I find it pretty crazy to think about that they can talk in the way that they do as if when I'm doing an investigative report and I present it to MSNBC before I go on, that's vetted by attorneys. It's not like you don't have editors and people who vet your stuff 
we can't just post blog posts and our opinion and act like it's facts. So it's, it's interesting to me that they paint it in that way. Obviously, it makes it more conspiratorial and they want to make it twisted like propaganda, I guess. But DC reporting obviously has seemed to run on a, a lot of anonymous sources. I use them. I know that everybody pretty much does because oftentimes officials don't want to share the whole story in the record, especially based on the outcomes of officials that get leaked out nowadays in the, in the Trump era. How would you compare working with those kinds of sources to what someone might have seen in like all the president's men, where there's a lot of cloak and dagger versus the reality of dealing confidentially with people who work in the highest levels of government? Uh, yeah, it, as you mentioned, it is a very professional process. We can't just decide that we're going to have an anonymous quote and sort of run with it. We have to go through our vetting process, our editorial process, in which we verify that these people exist and that they are who they say they are and that they have the access that they purport to have. And it, it's a collaborative process. We work with our editors. We work with higher level officials within the organization, especially on bigger and more important and more sort of confidential type of sourcing and, and stories where it could be of a sensitive or classified nature. But yeah, it is difficult to sort of navigate that space where you are not only working with sources who do not want to be named and who may be risking their jobs or even their safety by coming to you with information. And at the same time, making sure that the readers know that you are vetting the information, that you are not risking the credibility of their organization by going with reporting that's not fully confirmed or reporting that is still sketchy. We try to make sure we have multiple sources as much as possible, that our sourcing, what they're telling us, lines up with the reality as we know it. We double check a lot of information. We have editors and copy editors that make sure that we're using accurate information and putting out accurate reporting. And all of that is really important because we want to make sure the public is aware that what they're reading is fair and accurate reporting and that has gone through the vetting process and that they can believe what they read and they can believe what they hear from us. Uh, that's very important to us. It's become more difficult in a time when you know, we're under assault and under attack from people who want to discredit us or make it seem like we don't do our homework or that we don't do our due diligence or that we're just running with fake sources. But we spend a lot of time making sure that our sourcing is accurate and making sure that we also give confidence to the people who are coming to us with information or the people who are telling us things that maybe they're not authorized to tell us, but they think the public needs to know to make sure that we're protecting them and not allowing them to be retaliated against or sort of used in a negative way or singled out for punishment. I'd like to share something with you that I'm involved with right now. If you're looking for instructions on how to make a personal face mask or want to get involved sewing masks or distributing them, text MASKS, that's M-A-S-K-S, to 50409. That's MASKS, M-A-S-K-S, to 50409 to download a pattern or to get involved. Yeah, that's been happening a lot, obviously, in recent days or in months, uh, that is. Is there anything you haven't published recently, but you think might be an interesting story about the White House that you want to leave our readers with? Uh, well, we just put out a story today that I think may be worthwhile for your listeners and your readers, which is sort of highlighting how the president is not following his own guidelines when it comes to the coronavirus and the reopening, keep pushing states to reopen even before they meet some of the criteria that were laid out 
by the White House, essentially saying that you know states need to see 14 days of declining cases before they start opening up. President and a lot of his allies are sort of brushing that to the side and encouraging states to move forward with reopening, even though they haven't met that criteria and some of the other criteria. And there's sort of that disconnect between the health experts who are saying that some of these states need to take a little bit of a slower approach and the president and his political aides who are saying that we need to reopen as quickly as possible. And depending on who wins that debate, that could really have an impact on how many cases we see, how many deaths we see over the coming weeks and months. And that's going to be a very interesting and important breakdown. Right now, it seems like the political folks and the economic aides are winning out over the public health aides. And now we're seeing projections that we could be getting up to 3,000 deaths a day just in a matter of weeks because of reopening too quick and a, a reduction of social distancing guidelines. So that's the kind of thing that's happening behind the scenes at the White House that we reported on. And it has real world consequences. And I think it's important for people to know that in many cases, the government is as messy as some of the other organizations that are sort of less esteemed than you would expect a little bit more from the government. But it is sort of a messy sausage-making process in which a lot of the things that you would expect in terms of professionalism and organization are not there. And it has real-world consequences. And that's what we've been seeing with this virus. Tolu Olaranipa. White House correspondent for The Washington Post, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for your diligence and thank you for your hard work. I really appreciate your time and everything you do. You got it. Thank you. I want to thank Tolu Olaranipa of The Washington Post for joining us. I want to thank our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com. Check out our amazing project, masksnow.org, M-A-S-K-S now.org thanks again for listening keep resisting through the coronavirus crisis onward